Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Technopreneur. Um, today my favorite co-host is back, Lucas, since he was missing last episode. Oh yes, I'm, I'm happy to be back. <laughs> awesome, and today we have a really interesting topic, and we talk about climate impact strategies and carbon removal technologies, which is high-tech and super interesting in my opinion. And we do that with today's guest, Katja Grohe Eberhardt. Very German pronunciation, I'm really sorry, but hello. <laughs> and I'm a very Danish person, so uh, that's, that's a funny situation. Yes, hello, I'm so happy to be here. All right, awesome. So my first question to you is, you, do I say this? You have a relatively typical CBS path, I guess, you, you chose, and then you work full-time for large companies, which is a really safe environment to be in and a good place to be in. How do you go from that to founding a company truly, and why? Yeah, it's it's a lovely question, and uh, I, I think I could talk about this for hours. Uh, go for it. <laughs> we'll um, have to interrupt you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I mean, uh, I am very humble towards the sort of path that I have uh, towards where I am now. I learned a lot from both my sort of experience at, at CBS. Um, my, my first sort of... Uh, way into everything entrepreneurial was when I was doing my master's degree and, and working at Mask, which I guess many CBS students do. Mm -hmm. And and it's a very sort of, it's a really, really amazing place. Also traditional in many, play, in many ways. But I had an amazing uh, boss um, that I worked with, or amazing manager, and, uh, and he sort of wanted me to, to join the team because he also wanted to start an in-house consulting unit. Mm -hmm. So in many regards, we actually sort of had the first sort of build a company within a company mm. uh, and get that uh, yeah. buy-in and, and the first projects and, and the validation that is need needed. And it was extremely fun. Um, so um, we, we, we got to play with a project in, uh, in Jylland and, and sort of did all that in the beginning and, uh, and I felt extremely motivated. So, so um, this was an amazing time and, and I learned a lot about it. Also about working with corporates and, and how you do that. And, and the team is very successful today. So I think it's around 80 or 100 people that are in that in-house consulting unit. Um, but then I joined uh, Boston Consulting Group afterwards. And that was also extremely interesting uh, to do that. Uh, I really liked my colleagues. I liked the projects we worked on. It was very much in strategy, still a lot in shipping, which I also really like. Um, and, and ultimately, I, um, I also got this sense that uh, I had so much energy, so much motivation, so much drive uh, that I really wanted to apply into uh, something I believed in uh, 120%. Mm -hmm. uh, not to say that I didn't believe in the projects that we did. I really enjoyed everything. But ultimately, um, yeah, <laughs> that's also a bit of a cliche. Uh, I got my son... Uh, when was that in 2019? And and just after that, we had one of the the warmest winters ever. Uh, we also sort of started to seeing those uh, big fires coming up in Australia, and 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 I was like, I just felt the sort of strong desire to really do something about uh, about climate change. And I have a background within finance and accounting. I have worked mm -hmm. with uh, strategy consulting. I was also part of a blockchain venture studio. So I have a big toolbox to apply into a market where I ultimately saw that, that the need was to scale the technologies. We have technologies for removing CO2 from the atmosphere. Now, how do we take that and then make it 
a thousandfold, a million times what we are able to do today, and even more than that. Uh, and and that's uh, ultimately the the sort of uh, what drove me to start Climate in the beginning. I completely agree. For me, it was also a little bit the same. Like I worked at SAP as technology consultant, and it's really nice working at that big corporations, but it's something different to to do it for yourself. To mm -hmm. I, I will like if I work on something where I into 120% and then it's my own business and where I really can yeah, grow into. And mm -hmm. How do you then got from this strategy? The next step was like a blockchain venture, yeah. you said. How did that happen? Before you didn't mention, you, you mentioned a lot what you did, yeah. but you didn't never mention blockchain. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I also saw that I, uh, I, I know my stories tend to take so long, so long, so I'm, I'm cautious about time. Yeah. Good, did you ask? Um, so after BCG, I had uh, one year at uh, out in the industry with uh, with a company that is also extremely interesting. Uh, we we did immunotherapy on allergy uh, treatments, <laughs> and and I, it's super different. <laughs> and it was so, sort of following that same path, right? Like, okay, then you do you do consulting, you go out and you get potentially to a mid level management position if you're mm -hmm. lucky, and like, and then you do that thing all over again, right? Um, and I got to do the strategy work on on their US business. It was extremely interesting. But again, I was like, this is not, um, <laughs> again, I'm not, I'm not utilizing my full potential uh, in the world. I hadn't found my sort of, mm -hmm. what was, what was my, what was my goal or what, what was it I actually wanted to sort of uh, throw my, my full energy on. I, I wasn't there yet. Um, my husband, to, to just mention that, he's extremely entrepreneurial and always had his own businesses. So that has oh. a huge say yeah. in why I also sort of, um, got more and more curious as to, okay, you, there's actually an alternative career path <laughs> that I never, you know, learned about at CBS and I never thought about, but that is extremely interesting and extremely tough, but also mm -hmm. interesting. Um, so I, I took the leap from there and, and ultimately joined a blockchain venture studio called Block uh, as a partner and COO and, and basically was part of driving that internal uh, as sort of an internal management team um, and, and, and setting up the first projects we did. We did biofuel tracking on um, uh, in the shipping industry, so for sort of Shell and Maersk and some of the biggest companies in the world, and also coupling that with uh, DNA, uh, synthetic DNA. So it was extremely uh, interesting. Um, but also, uh, in my perspective, it's difficult to go with blockchain first perspective into something <laughs> because especially in a very conservative industry where you have to sort of establish yourself. But uh, it was it was extremely fun and and good experiences and and sort of paved the way for for me going completely uh, you know on my own into mm -hmm. a new business right yeah I, I think on on this side on the table Nicholas and I were very critical about blockchain oh, yeah. but we're also very into sustainability so I find it kind of interesting what block does mm -hmm. and how. Yeah, for me, this. Do you see some other really nice sustainable? opportunities cases where you can apply blockchain except for like yeah supply chain tracking wait because supply chain is there you have a lot of different partners who don't directly trust each other mm. that's in my opinion a good example for blockchain but i sometimes struggle to see other opportunities there yeah i mean in every in every market where you need to create trust between parties and and, and it's difficult to gain that trust just by sort of being open with each other it, it makes sense And, and to be completely uh, fair, it's also something we're looking very much into how, how to utilize in climate. Uh, I mean, what is mm -hmm. it that we can 
uh, apply uh, to to ensure that not just I mean we we have an, a public ledger where we sort of openly share all the transactions we've done anonymously of course but on either side uh, with carbon removal uh, technologies and also on the offtaker side and that's because we want to make sure that there's complete transparency in in and no sort of double counting no uh, yeah um, no worry about uh, you know did we actually get what we what we paid for yeah. in the end right and i think blockchain has huge potential there not just for sort of the immediate transparency and validation uh, aspect um, and sort of laying everything open but also um, in in utilizing uh, newer technologies for a sort of clearing new projects for instance but then you mm -hmm. have to you have to imagine new structure, structure uh, structures that are more on the digital asset side of how do we actually establish new projects within carbon removal uh, the entire credit creation the automated financing that comes with that and everything but yeah. it's it, in my opinion it's it's, it's further out it's um, okay. i mean we see examples all, all the time of of also sort of these smart contracts and and, and clearance uh, <laughs> things that 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 fail right there was one last week i think of a huge magnitude so i'm 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 cautious that we do not have a sort of a web3 first perspective but we have mm -hmm. how do we scale the carbon removal industry first and then what do we do to support that uh, development so you dropped a lot of we and climate. Maybe very briefly explain what it is you actually do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so at Climate, uh, we are building what we call the number one infrastructure platform for scaling the carbon removal industry. And ultimately, we are very close to the supply side. So we have established a close relationship with several suppliers uh, on the carbon removal um, mm -hmm. technology side and, and ultimately are ensuring that we can fund as many... Uh, you know, as much uh, money into development of new supply uh, within their uh, sort of technologies. Mm -hmm. It requires a commitment from the off-taker side. Uh, so we ultimately need to create these sort of bankable assets uh, with commitment from the off-taker uh, or demand side, typically companies that have pledged to become carbon neutral in a given year. So let's say 2030 or 2035, uh, 2035 or, or even beyond that. They need to make sure that they can uh, have access to, to carbon removal supply for their unavoidable emissions. Now, how do you secure that and know that you have access and you also have a price that is locked in? You do that by committing uh, today to facilitating new supply. So it's complex uh, <laughs> and, and plenty of questions, I guess, but it's, uh, it's basically democratizing the way that we establish new supply in, in the carbon removal. In, in my mind, it sounds like a dating company for uh, climate tech companies for carbon removal companies and other companies who want to reduce their unavoidable emissions i think it's what it's called yes exactly okay i mean it's a complex data yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah very over <laughs> grossly oversimplified of course yes nobody but i mean we work with companies uh, it's it's quite uh, widely established that that companies need to sort of measure the baseline they need to reduce as much as they can in their own value chains hmm. but then to reach net zero targets you need to have a, a removal strategy so how do you remove your unavoidable emissions And luckily, the market is, is moving away from offsetting and avoided emissions. Mm -hmm. I mean, avoided emissions such as uh, wind energy and solar energy is great, but it doesn't uh, sort of count towards removal. It counts towards reduction in your own value chain. A and you still have uh, unavoidable emissions after that. So, so we're moving away from, from viewing that uh, those two types uh, in, in that uh, sort of removal uh, space. And then how do we actually apply uh, technologies such as 
uh, direct air capture, uh, mm. biochar, bio oil, um, blue carbon, and uh, enhanced weathering. It's, it sounds really uh, complex, I, I but those are the technologies we work with, right? Yeah, I saw all that stuff on your website. It's we like the the no. How do you call it when you remove you add something to the ocean, which then captures more CO two? I haven't heard about this before. No, like I have seen this big tech, which then has like big turbines which sucks in air and the then air somehow capture, yeah. yeah, that's that I have seen, but some of the stuff I haven't heard about before. I looked up on your website. No, and uh, and to be honest, a lot of it I haven't heard about. I mean, I have I have my amazing co-founder uh, co-founders on the team, Mads Miel Delsgaard and Simon Bayer. And Simon has a background. He's a PhD within uh, sort of sustainability sciences and work extremely uh, uh, much on on these topics. And he is he's just a powerhouse in developing out that uh, that uh, supply side. So so I mean, a lot of the technologies are completely new to me as well. Um, I mean, what drove us in the first place was working with direct air capture mm -hmm. uh, specifically, <clears throat> and and now we are we are extending that. Uh, for several reasons. One being that direct air capture is extremely uh, expensive uh, as a single tool for removing emissions for a yeah. company. You would have prices that are above 800 euros per ton. And then comparing that to what you, for instance, can claim with um, uh, with soil sequestration or, or forestry, which is, uh, yeah, below 15 euros per ton, it, there's a big gap. But we, of course, need to support the transition from the nature-based solutions. Sorry, I'm moving away from that. <laughs> that's, why that. <laughs> that's why we have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm very yeah. handsy no, here. No, no, don't, don't, don't worry. <laughs> but like moving away from the nature-based solutions towards the engineered solutions is yeah. extremely important. Yeah. Um, because not only are we establishing a new industry that basically doesn't exist, the capacity is so low today, mm -hmm. and we need to reach 15 gigatons in 2030, and 165 gigatons in 2050. But beyond that, we also need to have sustained removal of 10 gigatons a year. So we are establishing a new tech, a new industry, and it's super exciting. Of course, the reason is not funny, but like everything we do is exciting now, right? Mm -hmm. We and actually can do something. And when I now go on your website, you I can there see your portfolios you have. Before we go into these, I would like to ask, Who is deciding on the names? You have one <laughs> portfolio called Better Than Bill, <laughs> which uh, comes to Microsoft, Bill Gates. Yeah. Who is deciding on those names? <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's my amazing co-founder, Mess Meal, who uh, who sort of uh, are very good with uh, with coming up with, with names. Um, and yeah, we in in the beginning we had this. Um, sort of epiphany that uh, that benchmarking up against the Microsoft removal portfolio and, mm -hmm. and actually sort of uh, matching that and, and and supplying that to to the customers and, and actually democratizing that. So it's not just Microsoft and uh, McKinsey and Meta and Stripe that can actually do something, but it's all companies with unavoidable emissions. Um, then we got like we, we could easily match that match that portfolio and then I think Miss Mead got uh, <laughs> too excited about what, what names to give them and it's yeah. still on the website <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and I can now click next to the portfolio on a pay button with Google Pay so even it seems like I as a private person can participate in this what happens exactly with the money when I click on this like for the better than bill yeah. portfolio 
to to understand that we need to sort of divide between what we do into two separate areas. So we work with the what we call spot market removal portfolios, mm-hmm. and and for that we have secured uh, sort of uh, supply in 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 established projects, but maybe also new projects. But basically, we have a uh, we have sort of access to to supply that that is available for for our customers. And, and what would supply be? Would it be an amount of tons of co2 or any other gas or yeah exactly so it's co2 removed tons of co2 removed yeah and and then on the other side what what really is important for for future and and what sort of differentiates also between what you potentially would go and do on the website and what a big company would need is future uh, contracts we call them carbon purchase agreements and Mm. it's basically committing to a project that is that will be established once the once the sort of commitment is full mm-hmm. to secure supply uh, in between two and five years ahead, depending on the technology. Mm-hmm. So, so with the better better than bill, it's basically our our own stock, for instance. Yeah, <laughs> I love the name. So, <laughs> so the name good. is great. The name is awesome. I will I will give kudos to him yeah. for that. <laughs> but it's basically our own our own stock, and then uh, and then more importantly, it's 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 actually securing additionality in in the supply side, which is super uh, important, and what we're ultimately doing. I have a question that goes back a little bit, if that's okay, and mm-hmm. it might be a bit tough uh, also to ask. So, uh, you said that um, solar is great, other prevention methods are yeah. great, but that we need to capture it um, because that's a different field of CO two basically. Mm-hmm. So. My question would be if we have company A and they are in a good European country, whatever, and they have reduced all the emissions they have, then they would come to you, right? Mm-hmm. And make an agreement with you to do mm-hmm. carbon capture. But wouldn't that money that would be spent on carbon capture be way more efficient if we would spend it somewhere else where some people have not reduced to the same extent yet? So why are we preventing... Uh, um, capturing at one point if it would be cheaper to reduce them in India with I think on the other side you mentioned solar stoves for example oh yeah yeah oh yeah like that um, well I mean yeah, there's different sort of um, I think perspectives on how we mm-hmm. drive the market forward for us it's very important that we we are extremely focused on how do we scale carbon removal because it's okay. recognized that we need to scale carbon removal and in the reports the IPCC for instance that came out recently it's it's recognized as as an inevitable part of of the way forward mm-hmm. that being said reduction and and the green transition is is the utmost important for the future sort of development uh, and and we should not get to a stage where removals is, are a um, sleeping pillow. I don't know if you can say that in English, but like something yeah, like where silver bullet. I so can that, yeah, okay, make I'll all just, I want, and then I'll just capture whatever. It we'll just capture it because there's. Uh, I mean, CO two is one thing. There are plenty of other mm-hmm. side effects of yes. of our actions, right? So I I think reduction um, and and sort of this entire industry around measuring, reducing, and removing everything's important. It's important mm-hmm. to understand the baseline, understand what we can do better. It's important to reduce in the value chain and also reduce. In, in efforts that that can be so so you mentioned one one specific project, but for us specifically, it's uh, we are addressing uh, those unavoidable emissions that are left after those two steps, and it's important for us that we work with companies that are already active, actively measuring, actively reducing, mm-hmm. and then already know what are our, our sort of unavoidable emissions uh, in a given year. Yeah. And who like <coughs> a lot in this field is about. 
I would say trust and transparency. You mentioned that you make everything public in, mm. in this area, but who, how can I trust that what you write there is is correct? Mm. Um, like, is there some kind of verification, certification, validation process in place, mm. which is like, yeah, because now I still, if you make it transparent on your side, I still have to believe you, mm. which is only one party. Yeah, and it's in your, and you want that I trust you, and I. Trust you why we're sitting here, but uh, how can I be sure that it's? I yeah, that's a very good question, and and also points to the fact that it's a very very new industry. Oh. So of course we take all the measures we can to validate and verify everyone we work with. It's for most of our sort of supply network. It's the it's the sort of very <laughs> well known and all already sort of vetted in 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 large portfolios and large projects already. So we we are uh, you know quite uh, certain about the about that level. That being said, we are still diversifying. That that's the entire intention also of the of the portfolio structure. We need to diversify. Um, if you are too exposed into, uh, for instance, uh, forest. And you are also exposed to the potential fires that can happen around that forest or something like that. So, so we need to both have our own internal politics in place for how do we yeah. actually ensure that there's a diversification and there's a buffer on the things that we do, and then provide everything we can on the on the transparency side. Um, now we talked about uh, like when I came here that one of the things that we are looking into is, for instance, applying satellite technology to tracking projects. So. So our customers have direct sort of access to to some of the projects we do. It's of course easier with the. I mean, it has to be those very <laughs> you're gonna nature based and like visible projects because if you are if you have a direct air capture facility, you have no idea of sort of looking at it and seeing yeah. how much CO two is <laughs> yeah. actually being captured. That's now. probably really measurable. A direct air capture. It is measurable, and and uh, and and actually, it is it is tracked on a smart meter. Um, and now the big thing is how do we create that transparency throughout the entire industry, and and you know um, also build on the on the great standards that are arising now uh, to sort of verify each of the technology areas. And mm. in the beginning, we are we have developed our own framework that we apply diligently to that process, and and which is important. Are there does it look like that there will be like global standards of such frameworks? Because like I'm not completely into all the ESG frameworks, but as far as I know, there are different ESG frameworks and everybody and everything is a little bit different. There's not one standard. Do you know if there's a development to have like one standard way to communicate this? We really hope for standards in all the aspects. I mean, standards are important, not just in, in sort of the each of the technologies we work with but also in uh, are you a <laughs> are you doing the carbon accounting and are you then mm -hmm. also providing the credits yeah. i mean there might be some conflicts of in in uh, interest in that um, which uh, which i believe at some point will be addressed with with standards but perhaps also with regulation the same goes for a company that issues credits and then also sells them uh, i mean it's it's something that we at least do not do because we uh, we 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 believe that there is yeah too much of a conflict in that process, and I also think that that there is a huge specialization in each of those aspects of of the carbon removal industry that is being established. So, for instance, 
funding uh, the additional supply that is needed with the off-taker uh, commitments is something that we work very hard on. Then we see the standards coming along for each of the technologies, for the accounting, for sort of uh, traceability and everything. And, and we, of course, uh, should work with all of that that is coming on. What we all heard all now, it, it's very complex. It's going in many directions. Mm. How do you keep like an overview and how do you keep yourself updated on this? Because it's, yeah, it's very new. A lot of stuff is happening every day and like it's hard, <laughs> I would say. I mean, it comes down to, her. I would say one thing is having an amazing team. Uh, so of course, uh, I don't need to stay on top of everything, but we have a really, really clear sort of uh, division of, Okay. of focus in in the team um and the things that i need to focus on uh, are quite different from what simon needs to focus on because he needs to be extremely on top of everything related to supply and standards and verification and should we onboard this supplier or not and then let's say no and or like we say no based on our analysis and then it comes uh, like there is a news that actually something was off with the supplier so it was a, it was the right choice right but i mean it's then it's not for me to sort of dive into those yeah. topics but but I ultimately have hired have an amazing team both the co-founders and and the and the remaining team that I'm extremely proud of working with and I um, I mean I of course have to apply diligence in in, in that but also delegate the responsibility it, it sounds very structured <coughs> for a startup I would yes. say <laughs> especially such a young startup um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, think, I mean, that's good that you say that. Um, as I do believe that once we sort of, we are now 13 people in the team. So of course, that, that means that we have to have to have a bit of a structure and also have to have a bit of a division of, uh, of responsibility. Um, and it actually gives me so much, um, space to sort of um, focus on my my own uh, the, the things that i need to focus on uh, like specifically i told you we just been through a fundraising round and that is extremely demanding uh, from oh, yeah. my side right i would say it's around 80 to 100 percent of my time has gone into that for uh, for the past uh, four weeks right wow. um and there i need to you know i i, I just have confident uh, confidence because i have a team that i know i can trust and i have the internal uh, processes in place and you know <laughs> it sounds like there's a it sounds like there's a complete structure in many regards there aren't but i think we are so closely knit and we have sort of a clear focus all of us that it works really well you, you You just mentioned your fundraising and you already had one uh, pre-seed round last year with over 700,000 euros. Yeah. And we found something you wrote on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Very deep down on LinkedIn, to be honest. Yeah. But in LinkedIn. You wrote, the ultimate goal for climate is to make ourselves obsolete. I deeply hope that uh, that will be the case one day. Yeah. How do you get money from uh, investors with that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> Well, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good, I, I love that you found that. Um, I mean, I think it's a great quote. Yes. It's a super awesome quote. Yeah. And, and I mean, what, what is it that we want to do? We want to make sure that, uh, that ultimately uh, carbon removal is, uh, is an established industry and, and the levels that we need to remove are, uh, are sustainable. To be honest, since I wrote that quote, um, things, have, things have changed in the outlook for the climate. Mm -hmm. which means that we now know that beyond 2050, we need to remove 10 gigatons of CO2 each year going forward, a minimum to mm. sustain sort of levels. 
And and at this point, I think we we had a more or less uh, naive hope. Uh, I would say that that carbon removal is not something that we needed forever. So I would say today, I would still <laughs> wish for us to be uh, obsolete, yep. and I would work very hard on that. Not saying that I will sort of flee planet Earth and go to another planet and go there <laughs> like all that, but like, but it, it's it's extremely important that we uh, that that we get the the levels of carbon removal up to to what we need. Just to put it into comparison, uh, you said 10 gigatons yeah. every year. Do you know how much we currently capture per year? About, round, about? It's maybe? it's very low. Uh, so I, I don't have the exact numbers right now, but ballpark, it's, it's less than half a million tons CO2. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like at least 20-fold off, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we est you estimated that we need to 20x the uh, amount of funding yep. going into this industry towards 2030 to reach those levels. Uh, so it's a it's 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 a high amount, but it's doable, and that's that's what keeps me motivated and keeps me going. Uh, and and that's why why ultimately when I started to to look into how do we actually scale carbon removal, uh, it was it was a no brainer to go into this industry that is so new and needs to be established, but has a huge potential both business-wise, but also uh, in, in sort of restoring our, our climate. Yeah. Um, still coming a little bit back to the investment part, because I'm currently quite interested in the pre-seed round. Mm -hmm. um, what did you had in place when you got the pre-seed investment? What did you show the investors to get 700,000 euros? Yeah, um, I actually think it was around 800,000 euros, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's different than the numbers Crunch we're talking now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we, I mean, we had our uh, our first customers running. We had uh, some uh, the the first sort of uh, I would say around five to ten supplier relationships in place. Mm. We had a strong co-founder team, that was important. Yeah. Um, and then we had a really strong vision, and um, <laughs> I would say it's a uh, you know. I wouldn't even have believed back then what we were looking into right now. I mean, this round we are closing 3.5 million euros. Congratulations. Um, and have the, and have the commitment, so it's uh, it's going to happen. Um so it's uh, it's uh, it's wonderful and and that just means that we can uh, we can scale on all the most important aspects. Um and from the pre-seed round to now, so much has happened. Uh but uh, What is it? It's less less than a year, right? Uh, so I think I think it takes it takes a long time to get to to the pre-seed stage. It might take a long time because you also need to establish yourself as a co-founder team. You need to sort of get your foothold in the market and know which which customer segments are we working with. Like, how do we actually can we build an MVP? Can we build mm -hmm. sort of those things? Then you get some amazing investors to back you on that journey, and then it just starts to take off from there. It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what what are you using then the new investment money? Uh, what is where are you planning to spend it on? Is just a one position open on the hub uh, for head of sales? Yeah, I mean it's it's very new. <laughs> we we I have been fundraising for the past month, right? So it's um it is extremely new. Um and uh, and 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 I think before the summer we we aim to have uh, at least the next. I would say five to ten positions open, uh, so so we okay. can go on a summer vacation and come back to a bunch of new people <laughs> that uh, that we that wants to to join our mission. Um, 
team is of course important. I mean, people is 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 everything at this stage. Um, you asked what we what we are going to use the money for, right? So uh, we are building up several uh, several or strengthening several aspects of of the company, including sales, including product, un- including the supply side, and everything related to risk and mm. and forecasting is extremely important as well. Um, then I also had a good talk about about another key position um, actually with an investor. Because I think one of the most important uh, positions now to secure is also uh, a head of people or uh, someone to sort of nurture that culture from the very early start. And um, and I think it changed quite a lot. It used to be quite later stages that you even thought about that. But I know that I need to scale the team from where we are now to being 30 within the next 18 months. And mm-hmm. I don't want culture um, sort of... Uh, uh, processes, uh, operations, how we work uh, together, and uh, and sort of how we recruit and all that to get lost along the way. So, but it's probably going to change. I mean, you almost get you almost double your team size at that point. Yeah. So that's so many new subcultures, etc., that you have to integrate to your team. I imagine that's very challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then again, yeah, it might. I think it is. It is challenging. It's exciting. I mean, it's a. It's a. <laughs> Um, it's of course a roller coaster. It, it goes up and down, and then we we have really good periods, and then we have times where we are experiencing some challenges with with some developments, for instance, uh, around either uh, either part of the organization, and we need to overcome those, and then we overcome it and really sort of thrive from that. But we need to. I mean, it's ultimately coming to terms with building a startup and managing a company, and especially doubling in size within within a year. Is challenging, mm-hmm. uh, and and you need to thrive in that uh, insecurity. Like, uh, how how will everything look in a month? And like, it it's part of that. It's part of the game. <laughs> and I think one thing I really got good at. Sorry, I know. Go I'm for it. Go. One thing I really got good at last uh, the last year is figuring out how to sort of shut up my brain. Uh, when I when I need to uh, sleep and you know be present, I'm, I'm very interested. How? Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell us your secret sauce. I have no idea. Sorry about that, <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, it's about. I think the biggest challenge for many founders is is controlling everything with the mind. Not controlling. That's a diff- That's that's sort of the wrong way to put it. But just understanding how the mind works. That has been something I put so much effort on uh, the last twelve months because mm-hmm. I know that. So much of the success of the company relies upon uh, upon me at this stage, um, and and I need to be at my A game, uh, mentally, physically, sort of uh, performance wise, right? So I actually prioritize several things, uh, including um, a really good uh, advisor that I speak to once a week and and that I work with uh, on sort of um, an advisor just for you. Yeah, okay. And he works with several sort of. Uh, CEOs in the Danish startup scene, and and I just that's my highlights in many regards because we uh, we we digest uh, the experiences uh, of the week and and talk about and un- unpack sort of patterns and behavior and and I, I hope it makes me a better leader and a better person and 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 also a better mom and 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 wife because yeah <laughs> that's also a thing right. And- I think if I'm not mistaken, you're also like a mentor for other female founders. Yeah. How did this happen? So it was, um, we were part of a a program called Beyond Beta, 
in oh, the yeah. way yeah. beginning. Like it's it's a, the it's called it was called Accelerace or it's part of Accelerace. I, I can't really remember how it's separated. Uh, but this program was extremely good, um, and we met so many other cool startups in that in that process and learned so much about us as a, as a as a team. And they do uh, also like a stage before that they do then mentoring of uh, I think it's only female um, entrepreneurs. It's called female founders. Female program. founders. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, it's um, it's specifically targeted towards that very early stage. And it's super, super uh, interesting. Um, yeah. So, so you, it sounds like a little bit you're passing on what you get at mentorship mm -hmm. then in your weekly sessions to, to new founders to be. Yeah. And um, in many regards, I was like, how can I mentor? I'm like so early in this journey. But then I just realized that there, again, even in those 12 months between you or, or one and a half years between you get the idea, you want to start. Yeah. Now you have the company in place and you actually have a seat, a pre-seat and like and there's learned so much. You learned so much. We, we slowly have to wrap it up. <laughs> it, it was amazing. But and, and, and I think now it it could be the best ending I ever <laughs> made. <in the> <laughs> okay, if, we'll if you would now think about back when you finished your bachelor at CBS and you were one of this one woman who is interested in founding something and you were mentoring, advising yourself, what would you tell yourself? Do it. <laughs> Do it. I mean, you will not regret it. I mean, it's, uh, and I know it's not for everyone, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I would really, uh, I would really just encourage everyone to, to, to go with their, with their passion and ideas. And I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> yes, that's a really good ending. <laughs> After we end the podcast, I want to know the secret sauce to sleeping, though, for real. <laughs> I, I need that one. <laughs> Thanks a lot for being with us. Yes. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.